All right, well, we're in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. Finish this phrase. An ounce of prevention is worth... All the young kids are like, what? <laughs> All right, my great-great-grandmother may have said that, but I know, okay. But an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Well, what I want to do today is give you an ounce of prevention, all right? How do you prevent yourself from becoming apathetic toward your Christian walk? How do you prevent yourself from, uh, you know, developing a I-don't-really-care-what-happens-next attitude? That's that apathy, all right? You know what apathy is, right? Somebody said, I heard that there was a problem in the world today uh, with apathy and ignorance. You think that's true? And the other guy says, I don't know, and I don't care. But uh, <laughs> So how do you keep yourself from becoming apathetic toward your Christian walk? How do you keep yourself from backsliding and making bad spiritual decisions? Well, you know, right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be given uh, that, uh, that ounce of prevention, that those things that you could do that would keep your Christian walk vibrant and alive and, and exciting and, and what we would say hot, you know, uh, so that you'd be on fire for the things of God. And it's going to be right here in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 14. He says this word, now. So he's kind of introducing a, a new direction in this, in this chapter. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow after that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would just meet with us this morning in a very special way. God, I pray that we would be willing to let you uh, do something in our lives and our hearts today that would cause your word to be more vibrant uh, your life that you've called us to, to be more real and more uh, interesting to our spirit, that we would be drawn to it uh, rather than pulled away from it. God, I pray that we would have a, a lively, hot uh, relationship with you. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know your son, may today be that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, here he's saying, you know, now, because of all this other stuff that he's been writing about, he says, now I want you to to get some things down that would keep you going this direction. And he, get, he starts a list, and that list starts there in verse 14. It's a long list, but we'll go through it fast, I promise, all right? So it's not that long. First he says, now, warn them that are unruly. Well, this is kind of where uh, I'm at and where you might be with some family members, whatever. Uh, when we see somebody drifting away from what God has called them to, it's at that moment, he's talking to Christian people, it's at that moment that we want to warn them, that we want to jump in and say, hey, listen, God has more in store for you than just this. So get hold of it. Let's, let me, let's be a warning to those that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. We're going to kind of jump past this because this is the uh, introduction, really, of all of this. See that you render, none render evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to everybody else out there. Not just to Christian people, but to everybody. This ought to be our goal that we, by the way, if we could kind of back up just the, this week in our nation, you know, all the things that have happened since, since last weekend with Charlottesville and then moving forward with the things happening in, in Florida and everything this week, 
If people would just remember this, to render evil, not to render evil to any man, but to follow after that which is good uh, and toward all men. But now, here's where we want to get to that ounce of prevention. What can I do, Pastor, to keep my life doing that? Doing this, verses 14 and 15, what can I do to keep my life headed that direction? What can I do that would prevent my spirit from being drawn away from the things of God? He's going to give us just a simple list here, and we're going to go through it together, and hopefully you'll catch on to it, all right? Verse 16, I want you to memorize a verse with me today, all right? This isn't hard. Say this with me. Rejoice evermore. Say it one more time. Rejoice. Look this way and say it without looking. Rejoice evermore. How many of you think you've got that memorized? There you go. All right. You've now memorized a verse of scripture. Rejoice evermore. Do you know how you and I, Christian, do you know how we're going to stay focused on the things of God? It starts with this simple little attitude adjustment. If I'm not rejoicing, then what is it likely that I am doing? complaining so let's go the opposite direction if i am complaining what am i not doing and when am i supposed to rejoice if i want to keep my life focused on the things of god and i want to keep my relationship with god hot if i want to keep my my life protect my life from backsliding from apathy and all of those things one of the simple things I need to do is to allow God to bring joy into my life. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, now, some of you say, well, I've got joy, Pastor. I've got joy, Pastor. What do you expect? You know, I mean, wow, the Rowell's just sang a stirring song of, if you're like, yeah, amen, somebody like, huh? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that was stirring. <laughs> it's like, let the Lord bring joy. You remember when you first got saved, how much joy you had? You remember, like, wow, this is so exciting. God saved me. Yesterday I was going to hell. Today I'm going to heaven. This is exciting. And there's a rejoicing in it. And if you want to protect your life from becoming backslidden, and apathetic toward the things of God. One of the simple things to do is to adopt rejoicing as a mantra for your attitude. And by the way, can I, it's this real simple. It really is. I'm, this is not hard at all. But if you're rejoicing, tell your face. Look this way and smile. Don't you feel better? Now, if you look this way, you might laugh. I know, but... Just look this way and smile. I mean, it, it, it is the weirdest thing, but when you smile, you actually feel better. I think, I think that's just the way God made us. And God, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to rejoice evermore, but, you know, it starts right here. By the way, rejoice evermore. Go back to your grammar class for a moment. What kind of sentence is that? It's a direct command. It's an imperative sentence. This is not optional. This is a command. You say, well, Pastor John, you don't understand. I can't just choose to rejoice. Oh, yeah? Really? Are you having this conversation with me or with God? Because I'm not the one that gave the command. I am telling you that, yes, you can choose to rejoice. Well, you don't know what my life is like. No, I don't, but God does. And that God said to you in the command format, rejoice evermore. 
I don't, and he, he looks at us, I don't really care what your life's doing. Rejoice. Because what it does is it keeps our relationship with him on fire. It keeps us focused on the things of God. When I find myself griping and complaining and whining about life, it's because I'm focused on the things of life. And I'm not focusing on the things of my Savior. But it is, this is a never fail. When I focus on my Savior, the result is that I find the ability to rejoice. That's a never fail. Works every Caleb, I didn't realize you were here. Welcome back. He's been gone to Pastor Joe's all summer long, so now I have another reason to rejoice. Good to see you, sir. So anyway, all right, so uh, anyway, I got sidetracked there for a minute. So rejoice evermore. It is a command. By the way, the evermore then tells us something else about that rejoicing. Not only am I supposed to do this evermore, but the evermore says regardless of the circumstances. That's exactly right. I am to rejoice regardless of the circumstances. So, a couple weeks ago, if I'm standing, you know, paying an ungodly amount of money to go a mile and a half on a road, I am to rejoice. I wasn't doing a good job at that point, you know. I wasn't. I had gotten my eyes off the Lord and onto the circumstance. And I found myself complaining and griping and whining and being rebuked by my daughter. That wasn't fun. You know, so... We ought to adopt this concept that no matter what life's given me, I'm going to choose to rejoice. How do I do that? Focus on my Savior. Secondly, take a look at verse 8, 17, I'm sorry. Pray. Pray how? Without ceasing. That does not mean, please, don't do this. Don't close your eyes while you're driving down the road. In fact, closing your eyes has nothing to do with prayer. We simply, why do we close our eyes when we pray? To keep distractions from coming in so that we can focus on the Lord, right? But, uh, you know, there's no, there's no command and correlation to closing our eyes in prayer. Uh, we've just gotten into a habit of that. But, but the idea of praying without ceasing is that I ought to be living my life in such a way that I can go to the Lord in prayer at any moment. Uh, and I, I use this illustration uh, to help us understand this praying without ceasing. Imagine for a moment that um, you are standing over here and your young child or grandchild is way over there. And you can see a danger that is about to take place. They're nearing the slippery rocks by the edge of the river. Or they're nearing the road with busy traffic. And your ability to stop them is limited. Let me ask you, do you want to be able to pray at that moment? Do you want, or would you, would you rather have your life lived out in such a way that the first thing you have to do is say, Lord, uh, please forgive me for losing my temper back there, and please forgive me for that. Oh, and then finally get to, the, do we want to be instant in our prayer? The idea is that we would live our life in such a way that we can, at any moment, walk directly into the throne room of heaven and know that we will be heard. See, the Bible literally says if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. So in other words, I'm hanging on to some sin and I'm not letting the Lord have his way. 
and I'm being stubborn about it, and I'm regarding this iniquity. And then I want to think that God's going to hear me whenever that little child needs my protection or needs his protection. I can't give it. Needs God's protection. That's the idea of praying without ceasing, to live my life in such a way that my prayer life is always in touch with God. So rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing. And if I stopped right there, if only these two things were in our lives consistently as Christians, do you think that it would change my attitude toward my Christian walk? Do you think that it would make my ability and my desire to live for Christ greater? But he gives us some more things. Take a look at verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Everything means everything. Yeah, don't make this hard. You know, it's not like we need a def- we don't we don't need a dictionary to look up everything. Every means absolutely all. Thing means absolutely anything. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We have people sitting amongst us whose lives have been turned upside down by cancer, and God says to them, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. We have people in our midst right now whose lives have been turned upside down because of a family member's bad decision, and now things have happened in their lives. And God says to them, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It is that attitude of gratitude that God wants us to to develop. So it's, it's tied very closely to that rejoice evermore. If I'm not being thankful, what am I being? Ungrateful, all right, yeah. You know, if I'm not, if I'm not saying, you know, how do I, pastor, how do I be thankful? Do you realize this? That if, and I don't believe this is happening in anybody's lives here, but it has happened in the lives of people sitting here. If you just buried one of your children, God says to you, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. You say, Pastor, how in the world can I accomplish that? Well, if I have started a pattern of rejoicing by focusing on the Lord, and if I have started a pattern of being able and ready to pray at any given moment, then being thankful becomes much easier. But when I've developed a pattern of being complaining and whining and griping, then being thankful becomes almost impossible. Say, well, you know, and listen, this is the strangest thing, you know, about our God. If God is God and he's in control, then he could have stopped any of those things from happening. And he didn't. So our job is to trust him. And being thankful shows my willingness to trust him. I don't understand it. I don't. Have you ever had anything happen in your life you didn't understand? Have you ever asked God why? By the way, David did. So if David can do it, I think I'm okay. Have you ever asked God why? But in the midst of the why, God's answer is, I may tell you someday, but right now I just want you to be thankful. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do these things and your relationship to God becomes more intense. Our focus has to be on God because the only way I can be thankful when difficult things are happening in my life is when my focus is 
on him. Go on to verse 19. Quench not the spirit. This is a strange thing. This is one of those situations where a God who is in control, a God who is sovereign, has sovereignly chosen to give man a free will. And so this sovereign God who's in control allows men to choose wrongly. And in so doing, we quench the Spirit of God. It's an amazing thing that the Spirit of God, think that through for a moment, the Spirit of God, of the sovereign God, is capable of being quenched by a human being. But when you and I, sitting perhaps in a church service just like this, being spoken to by the Holy Spirit of God through his word about rejoicing, about praying, and about giving thanks, say, uh-uh, I'm not going to give thanks for that. You can't make me give thanks for that then the work that the Spirit of God had begun to soften our hearts and to cause the relationship we have to God to be more intense and even greater is diminished. It is quenched like a fire, which was at one point roaring and so hot and intense you couldn't get near it, but we quenched the fire and now it's less than it was. That's the quenching of the Spirit. Every time you and I resist the Spirit of God and say no to the Spirit's convicting and convincing us of the direction we ought to go or the direction we ought not to go, we quench the Spirit and our relationship to God becomes less intense, less on fire. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Go on to verse 20. Despise not prophesyings. Anybody dare to venture what prophesyings are? It's not like telling the future, right? You don't have to show me your palm. That's not what this is about. What is prophesyings? Say it out loud. Whoever said that? Preaching. Preaching. You ever gotten mad at the preacher? You don't have to answer that out loud. <laughs> you ever thought to yourself, who does he think he is? Hmm. Ever, uh, the idea that he would dare bring up that topic. I know he meant that just for me. No, no, wait. Despite, by the way, you know, it's usually not the preacher. I'm just being honest, it's not. It's the prophesyings that come from your mom and dad often that we despise. It's mom and dad preaching the truth, sharing God's truth with us, and we don't quite honestly want to hear it. And the Bible says, despise not prophesying, truth-telling. When someone is telling you what you need to hear, don't get upset. Don't despise it. Don't be turned off by it. Do you recognize that, uh, you do this, I know you recognize this already, that your parents... Parents who love their children say to their children, don't do this, right? Because they love their kids, and they know that if they do this, it will hurt. 
You know, parents who really love their children take their little hands and slap it. They say, don't do this. You know why? Because it's going to hurt them if they do that. Parents who really love their children ground them from their computers and their phones and that kind of stuff. Why? Because they love you. That's, and so when God really loves us, he sends someone along to tell us the truth. Despise not prophesying. Because when I start despising prophesying, I'm quenching the spirit. When I'm quenching the spirit, I'm no longer being thankful. I'm no longer being thankful. I'm not on praying ground. I'm not on praying ground. I've lost my rejoicing. And the cure is gone. Right? This is how it works. Go to verse 21. Prove all things. Can I say this? Don't be spiritually gullible. That's the idea of proving all things. Just because a preacher says it doesn't mean it's right. Amen? I'm a preacher. You can say amen. I don't care. Just because a preacher says it doesn't mean it's right. And sometimes we look at ministries this way. Wow, they must be doing something right. Look, they have a million dollars worth of buildings. What? That's not the test from the scripture, right? Prove all things. Don't be spiritually gullible. Just because somebody looks nice and they have hair, <clears throat> it doesn't mean that what they say is something we ought to be believing. We need to put it to the test. Is this biblically right? Prove all things. And then having done that, hold fast to that which is good. The Bible says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. So it, literally it's saying, after you put it to the test, if it doesn't work, then don't use it. You know, we, we often call this the smell test. Do you know where that phrase comes from? Your grandmother. She opens up the refrigerator and she pulls something out. She's like, hmm, I wonder if that's still good. Right? So she does. My mom would always say this. My mom was a, was a butcher, and she would always say this. If you're not sure when you cook it, you'll be sure. It's obvious once you start cooking it, because cooking releases the odors. Like, whew, then you'll know. So if you're questioning it beforehand, you'll know it once you start cooking it. You know, so it's, it's just put it to the test. And then guess what? It's not like you say, well, I'm not sure. I'll feed it to my family anyway. <laughs> no, you hold fast that which is good. And you get rid of the stuff that's questionable. You get rid of the stuff that doesn't belong, right? That's what you do. Hold fast that way. And spiritually speaking, we become gullible so that we just, you know, well, you know, somebody from the pulpit said it, so it must be right. I heard it on the radio. It must be the truth. And we become spiritually gullible. And we're, we're creating a mess for ourselves. And the Bible says, no, no, this is not how we maintain this relationship with the Lord. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. 22, verse 22. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Teenagers, listen up. This is important. You say, Pastor, if I do what you're about to say, I think I know where you're going with this, and I don't like it. Because if I do what, I'm a, what you're about to say, I'll never have any fun. That's, our, that's the dance. 
here's what the Bible says. If it just might be thought of the wrong way, it's better off not to do it. Abstain from that which even appears like it might be evil. Years ago, they don't sell these anymore. Uh, at least I, they do. I don't know where. I haven't seen them for years and years. But how many of you remember the little bubblegum cigarettes? Remember those? You'd buy a package of ci cigarettes, and they were bubblegum. And for the very first use, if you were the first one to get that one out, you could blow on it, and all the dust from that, uh, they put, they'd put a lot of powdered sugar around it. It was wrapped in paper. And all the dust would, and you, and I can remember being a kid, and you, know, you and you, oh, look, I was smoking. <laughs> How stupid were we? I don't even get that one. Why would we even want that? Uh, it went unwrapping, it's just bubble gum, right? Now I would say to my kids, abstain from even the appearance of this. Why would, why would you even want somebody to think you might be a seven-year-old smoking a cigarette? That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> just abstain from it, right? Just abstain from it. But then we go and we grow up and that becomes bigger. You know, for instance... Uh, we try around here, Pastor Andrew and I, uh, if we try to make sure that if there's a lady in the church, there's somebody else in the church. You know, why? Because we think that every woman is out to get us because we're hunks? No! No, that's not it. It's just that we want to abstain from every appearance of evil. Pastor Andrew might be, but all right, you get it. We just want to abstain from the appearance of. We don't want people to misunderstand what's going on. And so, you know what? It does. Every now and again, abstaining from the appearance of evil means that there's something that I could have done that I would have enjoyed that wasn't really bad. But you know, when I do abstain, what it means is I'm in a perfect situation to be able to rejoice, to be able to pray, to be able to be thankful because I'm not putting anything else out there. Abstain just from the appearance of evil. This is how we make sure that our lives are protected. It's an ounce of prevention, and it is worth a pound of the cure. Why? You don't need the cure if you never have the problem, right? You don't need the cure. And that's the idea. Look what it says in verse 23. And the very God of peace... Here's what will happen. When we follow this prescription, the very God of peace will sanctify us entirely, wholly. In other words, God makes of our life what only God can make of a life. That's what begins to happen.